Lebel to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Lebel just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Liebold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. What's going on? Welcome. Hockey to hell and back, episode number 70. Three. I'm Brady Leibold coming out to you guys live from Muskoka, Ontario. I already have tears in my eyes, to be honest with you. I'm already getting emotional. It's a lot of things on my mind, but uh, it's good to be back sitting here. If you're watching live, thank you. If you're listening after, thank you so much. All of you guys accomplishing things that I never would have thought possible on a pretty consistent basis. And it's because of just the unbelievable support from all of you guys. So thank you. Um, I really don't even know where to start. It's been so long and I apologize for that. And I think I didn't really realize that that many people maybe 
listened or not, maybe I don't want to say depend on this show, uh, but how many people, and I don't mean thousands or even hundreds, but the important people uh, that listen in all the time uh, and that I get just unbelievable feedback from. I appreciate all of you. And I'm sorry that I haven't been pumping out episodes like I once was not that long ago, but it, needless to say, it's really good to be sitting here. And um, you guys all know that I went through a really difficult time uh, throughout the summer, uh, personally with my mental health and just kind of stuck in a rut. And I'm really happy to report that I'm like through that. And uh, I think it's just important to recognize that, that we can all go through things like that and that it's not a forever thing and that we can all make it through it. And I'll tell you, there was times when I, I really thought, you know, was this, is this all worth it? Um, I never really had thoughts about going back uh, into my addiction, but it was like, wow, is this life really worth it? Like, is, is this all worth it? And I, I don't really know why it, uh, not really sure why it was uh, affecting me that way. Um, but I just want to note that things are, are much better. And to everyone that supported me through it, thank you. Um, a lot of you guys know that are watching, uh, might know that this episode uh, is in memory of uh, the late Jimmy Hayes, passed away uh, August 23rd of this year. Uh, and it was kind of a mysterious death. Uh, obviously, when anybody passes away, it's very tragic. Uh, but this, just the endless amount of uh, outpour for weeks, uh, you know, surrounding his death, but not a whole lot of answers of why. I didn't really talk too much about it uh, openly. Uh, what I mean by that is on my podcast, on live videos, but I talked a lot about it with, you know, people that I'm friends with, uh, people that are close to me, people that are kind of in my circle or whatever, if it came up and I always weighed in and I always said, uh, originally it, it had to be um, related to mental illness or addiction. Uh, and then when the toxic or the uh, autopsy came back and they were waiting for a toxicology, I knew. Uh, even though it was still a, probably a month away. It was just announced just about 24 hours ago, I guess, uh, that Jimmy Hayes, at the time of his passing, had cocaine and fentanyl in his system. Uh, this is a former NHLer. His brother's still playing in the NHL and just terribly sad. And it was, I feared the worst. And I had a few people, a lot of people messaged me today, the story, a lot of people saying, you know, we talked about this. This is kind of what you thought. And it's very sad. And in reading the story, um, you know, Jimmy reaching out to his father, his father noticing at the year after he stopped playing, uh, at least this is what I read. I don't want to talk too much directly about his story because I don't know Jimmy. I don't know his family. Uh, I don't know all the details other than, you know, what I can read um, like everybody else. So I don't want to talk too much about his story, but his dad noticed a change after he was done playing hockey and, uh, went to him and, uh, you know, he shared shared with his dad that he had an injury and was prescribed painkillers and was never able to get off them. And so in the story that I read, uh, Jimmy went to a treatment center and all looked good. Um, but as I know uh, myself, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's extremely difficult to stop. And I don't know. Uh, any more details on that, but I just want to send my deepest condolences to the Hayes family, uh, to all their friends. I have not addressed this on this podcast. I didn't even mention his passing at the time because I did want to get all the details. But this is a very sad story at the, like, the very top of hockey, though he was not currently an active NHL player. He is 
very closely removed from the NHL. And obviously his brother is still a current player. And I'm well aware of many former hockey players that are battling in the trenches of hell right now with an addiction, uh, many of which that stem from painkillers and now has uh, turned into something much worse. And so I just, there, there's a lot of similarities in my story. Obviously I'm, I'm very lucky to still be here. Very lucky. I count my blessings every single day, but I was also prescribed painkillers and it led me uh, down a pretty dark path. And so I don't want to talk too much about Jimmy until I have more of the facts, but I think it's a really important conversation to have. And unfortunately this continues to happen. And this particular story, uh, because of his prominence in hockey, being a former NHLer, his brother being an NHLer, it's gotten a lot more media recognition. But the cold, harsh reality is, is this has happened numerous times uh, to other individuals inside the hockey community, a lot of them behind me. And I really hope that we can take a step back and learn from this and really start to take this stuff seriously. Uh, I just want to acknowledge too the the Hayes family for, for speaking out courageously about it because I know there's no way it could have been easy for them. His dad went on to say something along the lines of if, if Jimmy's story can help one person, you know, we can, we can save lives. And I, I just acknowledge his courage and his strength. This is way too common. This isn't just a hockey problem. Of course, this is a world problem. And so before I go any further, and I, I kind of want to get into the story about how, how can that happen? How can this happen to a hockey player where you get injured and you get prescribed something from the doctor and in the end, you lose your life to something very similar to the, what the doctor prescribed, but now you've transitioned into the street level and, and what that may look like. I don't want to say that this is what happened to Jimmy Hayes. I just want to share my experience and the experience that I've heard from several other, not just hockey players, but other hockey players as well, on how that can happen. Because fentanyl has taken many hockey players. And if we want to start talking about the numbers outside the hockey community, it's absolutely disgusting. And I don't get into politics or COVID or anything like that on this show. I really try not to outside of those closest to me because I know it just starts fights. But if we as a society really want to take a step back and look at what's going on in this world, the numbers are incredibly like just mind blowing. I don't even know the words. I was sitting at Matt's, which I'm going to get to later on, but a couple weeks ago after the game where I, you know, got kicked out in warm up and we were watching the news and I saw, I'll try to bring it up the picture on my phone as I go, but I saw something on the news that said, you know, overdose deaths have risen 78% since 2020. Like, in a, in a 365 period. And 
if you look at the numbers from 2020, that's really scary. Then you start to include the numbers of suicides in there as well. And to me, we need to start focusing on more than just this pandemic because it's created a whole other pandemic. And I'm not so sure that we've seen even the tip of it yet. So I just want to encourage everybody out there to have the hard conversations with your kids. I'm going to share stories about my life as I got older. And I think there's something to be said about that. I think we need to be able to support those who are struggling. We need to be able to meet them regardless of where they're at in life, how old they are or whatever. But to me, on the preventative side, starting to educate our kids and telling them and sharing with them and in a sense, scaring them, but being real with them, not trying to cover all this stuff up because this is the real world. And this stuff affects us all, whether we like it or not. Maybe not directly, but there's a pretty damn good chance that all of us have somebody in our lives that we love and care about that is battling either a mental illness or addiction and or both at this very second. We're losing people every second to the disease of mental illness and addiction. And it's not talked about enough. It's simply not talked about enough. There's tons of awareness campaigns on. I'm guilty myself. Puck support, when I first started it, the idea was to really support people. It's in the name. Let's support people. You know, obviously, I'm trying to battle my own mental illness sometimes, and and I'm not quite where I wanted to be with puck support. But I'll tell you, the vision kind of got skewed. And I'm happy to report that we've all kind of met and and, and kind of agreed that, hey, let's get back to, to where this needs to be. Of course, awareness campaigns are great. We want to be able to, to get out there and educate. That's a very important piece. But where are people getting the support when they do need help? That's the question, because not a lot of people know. And with no disrespect to general practitioners, because there's amazing doctors out there. I've had some. Um, but for the most part, they're just simply not trained in these areas. And the way that our system is here in Canada, and I'm pretty sure it's, you know, maybe even worse in the States or, or similar. It is nowhere near where it needs to be when people need help. People are in a crisis. They get treated like they're crazy. They get judged. I've been there. It's extremely discouraging. It makes you never want to reach out for help again. You know, you get thrown in a a padded room or a psych ward or a rehab. And if you can even get into a rehab. Anyways, I'll fast forward into just a story about like, how, how does this happen? Like, how does... How does somebody that's on the outside that looks so good playing hockey or essentially, you know, living out their dreams, how does this happen? 
how does all this happen, get tangled from an injury, from a doctor giving a player something that maybe he knows what it is, or she, I should say, he or she knows, maybe he or she doesn't. But being in that position, you never really think, at least I didn't, and from the people I've talked to, think that it's going to happen to you. Sure, it happened to, you know, to Joe Schmo over there, but that guy's weak. That's never going to be me, right? Well, that stuff's pretty powerful. I've mentioned it a lot. It's not just a physical painkiller. It's an emotional painkiller. And there's a lot that can happen. And there's a lot that goes on in our lives, whether we're hockey players or garbage men or teachers or whatever we are. There's a lot that goes on. But there's something that's very difficult for a hockey player at when you've played at an elite level, whether it be at the junior level uh, or professional level. When the time comes when it's, you know, time to stop playing hockey. It's very difficult. And it's painful. It's emotionally painful. You've worked for this your whole life. You've had this dream your whole life. There was no other option. There was no plan B, really. And all of a sudden, it's over. And so it hurts. And so now, if in and around that time, you're injured, and you get these painkillers, at first, it works for the physical pain. But if there's underlying things, like I said, if there's stuff going on in your your regular life outside of hockey or whatever, if you have childhood trauma, like I did, other underlying mental illnesses, whatever the case may be. It masks all that. And so it becomes very hard to get off of because now you feel like really good. Like none of that matters anymore. Like somebody just came and gave you a big hug. Your career is over. It doesn't matter. Take one of those painkillers. That doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't hurt anymore. Break up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend. That doesn't hurt anymore. Childhood trauma, that doesn't hurt anymore. And you just feel great. Before you know it, you're physically dependent on them. Now you're going, holy cow. I can't do anything unless I take one of these pills. And when I say that, you physically can't do anything. Because an opiate like a Percocet and Oxycontin, fentanyl, heroin, morphine, codeine, your body becomes physically dependent on them. And it's so powerful that I can't even describe what it feels like. It is the most helpless feeling because your body just shuts down. You're throwing up, you're crapping your pants, you can't sleep, your body hurts. It's like you have the flu times a million. No sleeping and it lasts. And you know, your mind's going, hey, just do a little bit more. This pain will stop. You'll deal with it tomorrow. Deal with it tomorrow. And it's a very hard cycle to break. And to get off it, it hurts. I've done it so many times, so many different ways, with other drugs or medications to help. Cold turkey, detoxes, jail, homeless, you name it. It hurts. And once you become physically dependent on it, 
it's all you can think about because without it, your whole life comes crumbling down. It doesn't matter if you have kids. It doesn't matter if you play hockey for a living. It doesn't matter if you love your family. None of that matters because your body is saying, no, you can't. And pretty soon it just becomes a cycle that is virtually impossible to break. In my case, my dad intervened, went to the doctor with me, and I was cut off my prescription. So, you know, my dad not really knowing, he thought that's helping, right? Taking them away. Now where's he going to get them? Doctor was like, yeah, this is insane. This is way too many. I was doctor hopping. I kind of got caught up in it. But now I go to the street. And at first it starts with the pills. Because the other stuff, heroin at the time, this is uh, back in 2000, end of 2009, 2010. Heroin was, was so off limits. Not a chance. Not a chance. Never in a million years. And I think I've shared this story before, but you know, I had a pretty regular supply of pills from this one guy and I was pretty naive. I was young. I had no knowledge of the drug scene or the streets at that time. Very, very green, as you would say, on the construction site. Very posh. Um, I suffered a lot because I didn't really know where else to go if I couldn't find it. That's kind of where I was at. But this guy, he was pretty consistent. But every time I would go see him, he was smoking heroin off tinfoil. And he'd always offer it to me. And I'd be like, not a chance, buddy. Like, you know, thinking that the pills were so much different than this heroin stuff. In retrospect, they're the exact same thing, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, not the exact, but they do the same things to your body. They're virtually the same thing. And I thought I was above that. Well, after a while, I just kind of got used to seeing him doing it, but I still never wanted to do it. Well, now he doesn't have any and I'm really sick and it's going on like a day and a half. And, uh, you know, he's like, I'm not going to have any till the next day, but if you just try this, you know, you won't be sick anymore. And I always use this analogy because it's the truth, and I'm just not really sure how else to put it. But if somebody at the time would have said, here, eat this dog crap, it'll make you feel better, probably would have wolfed it down because that's the desperation my body was in. You know, I, I was just extremely ill. All I needed was to take that pill or to smoke that heroin. And as soon as I did that, everything was fine. And now you can go about your business. And I did. And after that, I think I only used pills twice and I made that switch to heroin. And that's how easily it happened for me and for so many others. And at the time, I had no idea how much easier it was to find heroin. And that was it, I, I switched. 
And now, because I was starting to get heroin and hanging out with these different kind of crowds of people, they were also using other drugs. Now I start to experiment with those drugs, crack, crystal meth. I know I'm getting very kind of open about this stuff, but it's the truth. And this is all stuff that I never would have thought that I would have got into. And it happened very fast. In 2013 in Vancouver, or in Port Coquitlam, the lower mainland where I was living, border of Port Coquitlam, Coquitlam, heroin became virtually impossible to find because fentanyl came. Now I'm in Ontario and virtually everywhere, fentanyl is, is killing thousands of people all over the world now. There's an overdose crisis pretty much everywhere. The epicenter, at least in Canada, started in Vancouver. And the thing that people don't really know, maybe know about fentanyl and why, okay, well, why? Why, why would all of a sudden people want to have this stuff that's so much stronger that is killing them? It's a good question, right? Well, I could tell you why. You always, you always hear the, the kind of conversion, you know, fentanyl is a thousand times, a hundred times. Nobody really knows because you never know how much you're getting in a dose. But, you know, whatever they say, a thousand times, 500 times car fentanyl, this, that. The bottom line is, is it's a lot more powerful than heroin, oxycotton, morphine, all of that. It's in a class by itself. And heroin would come from Afghanistan and Turkey and all these places. And though it was street value lot or whatever, still was a, you know, packed in a brick or whatever you want to call it. And you had to get it to wherever you had to ship it. But with fentanyl, you could take just a sliver of that, like one thousandth of that. Or let's let's use the let's just use say you had the same amount of heroin in, in in my hand and the same amount of fentanyl in my hand. That heroin you could break down and sell whatever, and you could get this. But you could take that fentanyl and turn it into so much more. And not only that, the thing that people don't talk about is yes. So now, for to ship it and people are making it in labs because it's synthetic, which is extremely dangerous. They're also making fake benzodiazepines. But the other thing that people don't talk about with fentanyl is the half-life. How long does it last? And this is where it really started to get people. Is with the other opiates that I was talking about before fentanyl. They lasted for 8 to 12 hours. You could take your dose or whatever your, your, your kind of tolerance was. And you wouldn't feel withdrawals. You wouldn't feel sick for 8 to 12 hours, whatever depending on your metabolism. Fentanyl, 30 minutes to 45 minutes. So now, instead of using, you know, maybe once or twice, at maybe two to three times a day just to maintain, now you're having to use 10 times a day in some cases just to maintain because it doesn't last as long. So not just that, now you're having to do it more often. And every time you're doing it, it's so much stronger that it's like playing Russian roulette. But as an addict, I knew that. And the power of addiction is so strong that 
in multiple cases where I watched people overdose, in some case, lose their life. In some cases, they made it. In many cases, I administered Narcan myself, gave CPR myself. I can't tell you guys how many overdoses I have seen with my eyes. It's, um, it's a major problem. It's a major problem. I just, I just, I'm sorry, I had to pause. I'm just sitting there thinking I'm, I'm, when I sit there and I, I think about it, the friends that I've, especially when I was on the street, people would watch people die. And a lot of the times, other people around that maybe weren't close to them or whatever, they were more concerned about where that individual actually got the stuff that actually made them overdose. Because in the addict's mind, we're stronger than that other person. Always playing on that ledge. We want the strongest stuff because it's never going to happen to us. At least that was my experience and the experience that I saw in hell on Hastings Street in Vancouver where... In my opinion, I've been in a lot of places. There's no other place like it, at least in North America. That's the power of addiction. There's so many elements to it. And there's so many elements to our lives. And we all are really battling to get through the days. At least I am. How many... People, if you're watching this live or listening to this or are really waking up every single day full of life, just so excited, so happy, everything's great, very curious. If you're watching live, throw in the comments. Like, I mean, I think we're all battling. So... When an individual finds something like that, at least in my case, with the underlying childhood trauma, the loss of the hockey, the loss of my kid. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. So I could go into this so much. But that's how it happens. It happens so quick. And all of a sudden, you know, my... my my drug habit when it when it switched from the heroin to the fentanyl now because I mentioned you get to use more was buying more, you know. And at the time, like I said, it was posh. My dad was giving me a lot of money. When that all ran out, when all my bridges were burned, when I burned all the bridges down, which some of the friendships and relationships that I cherished for a long time in my life may never be mended. Because some of the stuff that I've done, it's the power of addiction, not making excuses. But when all those bridges were burned, I slowly started to get into whatever it had, whatever I had to do to maintain that. Because the fear of going through withdrawal, it ran my life. 
And that's the life of an addict. And so I just, I wanted to share that with everybody out there. And, and recently I've been having, um, you know, I've been really enjoying speaking on Zoom to different minor hockey teams, associations. Uh, I mentioned in the one podcast, I was talking to Pembinavala, Pembina Valley. I always say Pembina. Then somebody said Pembina. And now it's hard for me to say Pimbina Valley. Um, yeah, but I've last week I had a couple great talks, and and one of them I got to talk to the Estevan Bruins of the SJHL. They were in on it, and just you know sharing some of these stories about my experiences and, and some of the stories of others. Because this is way too common. This is way too common. My vision, my focus right now is on the hockey community. But if you ask me what my five, 10 year plan is, it's to branch way beyond the hockey community because this is a problem that affects all of us. But the things that I really know the most are hockey lived experience through mental illness and addiction. I really think that that's what I know. At least that's <laughs> how have I spent my time in my life? And that's the things that I've lived through. And that's, that's that. And I want to be able to expand it outside the hockey community, but first things first, because I think there's a, a great need for it. the feedback, the people that have sent messages um, that have sat through those zoom calls it's been very alarming, to be honest. It's scary, uh, but great that there are kids out there and even some of the the parents that were listening that have been reaching out and just kind of saying, hey, you know, like we're battling something similar in our family and to know that, you know, we're not alone or whatever. I don't want to go into too much detail because everything that comes in my inbox is private. But I always wonder, it's like, out of you know four of these zoom calls let's say i've had about 15 to 17 i, I would guess messages primarily from the young athletes the young hockey players ranging from 14 to 18 and i i always wonder it's like how many of them wanted to reach out but didn't feel comfortable how many of them are really struggling cuz the stats are are pretty high they've gone up you know, you can read them at different places. One in four, one in five. One in four, roughly one in five, let's say on a, a little bit of a lower end. One in five, one in five will struggle or battle mental illness or addiction. And in some cases, both. That's a pretty high number, right? pretty high number shout out Cole Zahn's watching he made uh he made a lot of that happen last week thank you Cole I appreciate you I appreciate for the appreciate the opportunity it's a lot of fine tuning that's my passion is honestly it's not just my story it's it's sharing the stories of others I, I believe the miners are watching right now I got a message from Haley Dan is 
right here beside my shoulder. And uh, yeah, Haley reading the the story today and just the similarities and it's not just Jimmy Hayes. It's not just Daniel Miner. It's not just Matthew Lazinski. It's not just Mitch Fadden. It's not just Jack and Nick Savage. It's not just Jeremy Domish. It's not just Dave Gove. Like when I say this, it's like, how is this, how is this happening? How is this happening? We have this beautiful game and the the time and the energy and and really the beauty that comes out of hockey regardless of what level you make it to, right? Like if you if if you're afforded the opportunity to play minor hockey as a kid, isn't that such a gift? I always say this to the kids. If I'm always on the ice, thank your parents. Do you know how many kids don't get a chance? It really woke my woke me up when I was in jail, when I was homeless. I met people I couldn't read, couldn't write, didn't have food in their fridge growing up. You know? And sure, some things happened to me when I was a kid, but I met people that had a lot worse things happen to me. My dad worked his ass off so I could play hockey. And I worked my ass off trying to escape my problems to get pretty good at hockey. But at the end of the day, this game, the things that it teaches us, the life lessons right from day one, teamwork, commitment, hard work, simply being rewarded for your hard work and effort and all of that, Ah, where are we miss where where are we missing this? How can we plug this in to get kids better suited to move forward in their lives, not just in hockey? Not just in hockey. I'm gonna get to some comments. I haven't had a chance to look at them. Dean Smeal, what's up, buddy? Your top bunk. Lots of love for you guys out there. My guy, David Carlson. What's up, my man? Jason Porter. Welcome back. You need to take time for yourself. First pod comes second, buddy. You can't help anyone if you don't help yourself. Be true to you. Great to see you back. I made this and I don't even have it up. What do you guys think of the new, if you're watching, what do you think of the new bottom banner? Well said, Jason. Yes, thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. David Carlson with some statistics for us. There were 91,000 suicides in the United States in 2020. Mental health is so very important. Let's talk. You're damn right. Linda watching. I'm enjoying listening to you so much. Very raw and real. Thank you, Linda, for your support. Appreciate it. Bonnie, up there in Muskoka. What's up, Bonnie? My older brother had a psychology degree. He died of a heroin overdose. It can happen to anyone. Coming from David Carlson. David, I'm familiar with that story. You've shared with me before. Very sorry. And you're absolutely right. It can. Linda, thank you for your kind words. Allison's watching. Hey, Allison. Chris is watching. 
Chris, I'm not sure I uh, I get that. If you're saying you're uh, you're struggling, or let me know. Reach out if you need to help, or if you need to talk. Sorry. What's up, Will? Yes, I'm going to get into that in the tail end now that I'm through the the kind of hard stuff here. Um, Allison, yes, sir. Good days. Every day I battle my addiction. What's up, Allison? Shout out to you. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Honestly, you're worth it. It's worth it. You can do it. I promise. You're a warrior. We're all so much stronger than we realize. I promise you that. There's times when I thought I was so weak and I was like, oh, I'm never going to get through this. I'm worth, like, there's no end in sight. I know what that's like. Promise if I can do it, anybody can do it. I promise you that. Cole, what's up, buddy? Keep sharing your story. Mental health and addiction aren't talked about enough. Thank you. Sandra Murray, what's up, Sandra? You get the horn. Getting some support in the chat there too, Allison from Sandra. I like to see that. Sandra, thank you. We appreciate you. Michael, watching. Keep it going, brother. My guy, Brody, watching as well. Just getting through the final comments. I'm going to move on here. Um, so thankful for everything my parents did for all the years playing hockey. Exactly. Especially his dad. Truly amazing. You're right, bro. Yeah. I agree, buddy. Listen, man, it's an honor to call your friend. We got to get together soon. Last one right now. Kaya Samil watching. Very grateful for everything you do for everyone. You're doing amazing. Keep going. Thank you, Kaya. I'm sorry that we still haven't been able to connect. I'm the worst. We got to make it happen. Anyways, I'm going to turn it to a sponsor. I'm going to come back. I'm going to wrap this show up with, I don't know how long I'm going to ramble because I like to talk. You guys know that. But there's a few things that I want to kind of move into just a slightly different direction. There may be a thing, couple things as I look over my one or two notes that I have that I got to come back to. But let's hear from Regan Bartel and t- Team Issued. And we'll be right back, guys. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leopold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Teamissued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. All right. Thank you to Regan Bartell. Jesse Paradise, everybody at Team Issued. Get some tunes going in there. Why not? Um, yeah. It's been a while since I've done a podcast, so there's a couple things that have happened. Some unbelievably awesome things and one particularly sad thing that hit me on a personal level a couple weeks ago I lost a good friend of mine he lost his battle with mental illness Rob McDougall (laughs) this guy this guy right here. I miss this guy. I didn't know him very long. But you know when you know when you think you can just like call somebody and kind of lean on them? 
And then all of a sudden they're not there anymore. It's kind of what I've been going through with Rob. Rob McDougall was an unbelievably unbelievable artist. He's responsible for a few of the Rock'em Sock'em covers, if you remember those movies. I have a great picture in my room. I'm going to grab it after the next little commercial break. I don't know how Rob McDougall came on my Facebook page. I have no idea. But he did. And he watched me for, for some time. And he knew, I guess... From my posts and watching and I used to listen to music and ride around on the ATV and do these crazy live videos running around with no teeth saying, hey, I used to be a hockey player. I'm clean now. I was like, you know, 24 hours clean, maybe, <laughs> maybe like a like two weeks or whatever. And, uh, you know, after a couple months, I guess he, uh, you know, he reached out to me and he said, what's your address? Because I forgot to share this in the post. Because this is really how it all started. What's your address? And sent him my address. And in the next couple days, I got a package. And it's this picture that I'm going to show it after the next commercial break at the end of the show. It's an amazing picture of Gord Downey from the Tragically Hip, my favorite band. And he sent it to me. And it's a, a picture that he drew. And it's just incredible. And it was just a gift for no reason. And that was really like the first kind of thing that anybody really did for me um, since getting clean. You know, outside of my family and, and, the, and, you know, the close people that obviously did things because they felt obligated <laughs> or because they love me. But here's a stranger that didn't know me and just wanted to give me this picture. And it meant so much to me then. It means even more to me now. But we kept talking and shortly thereafter, Rob wanted to put together a, a small group to get my teeth fixed. And uh, still can't really believe it. You know, you have to look at, I have some assistance from Susan upstairs. She's got the picture so I can show it off. So I can show you. This picture, if you look at it, it's it's drawn by Rob McDougall. And the Canadian maple leaves are actually part of the picture. So he put leaves down and then covered them in white paint and then goes over them with a darker paint. So they're real leaves. And then painted Gord Downey's face over top of the leaves. And so that's how our friendship started because of a, uh, he knew that I, I like Gord Downey. And, uh, I made several trips down to Rob's house. He had no idea who I was. He knew that I had been to jail. He knew that I'd been struggling prior he let me work with him in his shop. He coached John Tavares in lacrosse for many years. And this picture here was for a project for John and a charity. And, uh, you know, he brought me into his house and I had to go to the dentist down there seven times. He gave me the option. He said, Brady, 
I want to get your teeth fixed. You can either find a dentist up there in Muskoka and we'll get all the, we'll get it all squared away. We'll pay for it, whatever. Or you can come down here and meet my dentist. Thought about it for like two minutes. I'm like, I'm coming down there. This guy wants to get my teeth fixed. Thousands of dollars. I didn't have, you know, wasn't driving. It was going to be difficult to get down there, but I was going to find a way. And I'll tell you what, I'm sure glad I did. The time that I spent with Rob is time that I will value and it made me a better person. You know, I didn't really know what was going on with Rob. I knew that he had something going on. But he shared with me some private stuff. He shared with me a lot of stories about his life. Shared with me a lot of his art and the great people that he got to work with. This one night we were sitting in his, <laughs> we were sitting there and I mentioned painting the leaves and a lot of people know that, you know, I use cannabis pretty heavily early on in my recovery to, to, you know, kind of transition off the fentanyl and everything. And listen, people may be listening, didn't know that. And I'm, I'm going to get into it actually, because I, I just need to get it off my chest, but I had to, right? Like I tried everything. It was like, no, can't do this. Can't do that. You're not clean. If you do this, you're not clean. If you do that. Telling you without cannabis, I'm not sitting here today. There's just no way I was so severely addicted. Doesn't mean that it works for everybody. I'm not advising anybody to do it the way I did it. Just telling you the way that I did it. Jim Thompson was on the show. He said, Brady, you should try to uh, cut out the cannabis. So I did for like six months. And I guess back in about... Maybe it was like five months. But maybe back in about July... I really started to reduce my medication, which I haven't talked about for a long time either, um, which is methadone. When I first started this podcast, I talked about it all the time. I got no issues talking about it. I think it's been in, uh, a part of my story that, you know, there's times when I wish I wasn't on it and didn't go on it. But then again, I, I say I was, for me, I had to do what I had to do. And so one year ago today, I was on 110 milligrams of methadone. And today, I can proudly say that I'm on 10 milligrams of methadone. So I've reduced it by 100, which is a lot. And methadone is an opiate. So my body is dependent on it. But it's something that I get from the doctor. It's whatever. But since I started to rapidly reduce my dose, I've pretty much been in a mild withdrawal for the last few months. And it's something that I haven't really talked about. And I've just kind of been trying to fight it myself. And, you know, I'm not like sick or anything, but I'm really trying to get off this medication. I'm trying to, you know, trying to train for this rollerblade. I'm like, I got to get off this stuff before the rollerblade. And it started to kind of wear on me. I started, I, it's really hard to have energy. It's like a long process. This is something that I didn't really want to talk about, but I felt like it was, I had to. And so... I've had to uh, supplement with cannabis again to help with the withdrawals coming off this medication. But to me, I'm still 19 months clean because my addiction took me, you could still see the scars on my arm from a distance. And that's just one. Look, at that's a scar right there. That is a scar all across there. So the fact that I'm not doing that anymore 
you know, I have to supplement to take off, take the edge off. I don't take any pharmaceuticals. Um, if you do, that's great. I think everybody has something that works for them. But what is working for me? I have not used fentanyl or hard drugs or anything like that in 19 months. And excuse my language, but I'm fucking proud of myself for that. So people can judge me if they say, oh, you use methadone for this last 19 months. You used weed or cannabis, whatever you want to call it. Fine. I don't care. I see your point. I get it. But I also tried it that way for years and years and years and failed. And here I am and I've rapidly reduced it and I'm almost off it and telling you it sucks this last couple months. I don't feel great, but I know I can get through it. And, you know, I just, I, I felt like I needed to share that because whatever, you know, I'm not the picture perfect um, AANA recovery. If that's the way that pe- people do, I, I'm fully supportive of it. Obviously, I wish that, you know, I could just be completely, uh, what's the word? Um, straight edge. I really do. And I'm working towards that. I am working towards that. But for once in my life, I've been able to commit to a process instead of trying to do it all in one day. And that's why, to me, I've been even just a little bit successful. But going back to Rob McDougall filters back into the, the cannabis. So when I was staying at his house, like a year ago, you know, I went down there first, like September 30th. Well, I would go in his backyard and I would smoke because I was, you know, I was still fighting the urges of, of my addiction to all the other stuff. He was totally cool with it. And in fact, he was doing a painting of Bob Marley, kind of similar to the Gore Downey one where he had the leaves and he was going to paint over the leaves, except they weren't Canadian maple leaves. They were marijuana leaves so he's like i got a job for you i think you're gonna like this one pulls out this bag of leaves he's like spread these leaves out get this white paint i think he paid me like 150 bucks it took me like 15 minutes i'm like i can't take this money i'm just grateful to be in your house he's like nope you deserved it he's like that painting's gonna make me i'm not even sure if it ever got done but the original i painted over he let me do it he's like you're gonna like this um but i did stop i did stop um for, for months and I felt amazing. I felt incredible. Then I realized that I needed to get off it for the rollerblade and I started to not feel so good while I was coming off it and I needed something. So I did what I had to do. I don't even want to look at the comments coming in because who knows what people are going to say. Do you deserve the buzzer? Susan from upstairs. So anyways, you guys, that's me, man. Like I am who I am. You can take it or leave it. I'm never going to be perfect. I'm not striving to be perfect. I'm just striving to be better than I was yesterday. And I'll tell you, I'm fucking way better. Excuse my language. Kid show. As Dave Portnoy would say from Barstool. Kid show. Fuck kid show. Yeah. I don't know. I, I lost track of what I was saying. So now let's wrap up this show. Let's wrap up this show. I'm going to share with you guys a few things. Thank you for listening to me ramble. I had some feedback like, hey, we like it when it's you and you just kind of ramble and whatever. Maybe people are just lying to me. I have no idea. But if you hated this, tell me you hated it, please. So I never have to do it again. 
We've got some guests lined up. We're going to get back, fired that up. But I felt like I needed to share this stuff about addiction just with the, the Jimmy Hayes story. And I'm not saying that my story relates to his or I know what's going on or what went on in his family or his life. I have no idea. But all I know is that a life was lost and that the facts are is that he was struggling with an addiction that stemmed from an injury, at least from the reports. And after that injury was healed and he no longer needed them, he battled to get off them and eventually moved to something that took his life. And so, and it's happened way too many times. So I needed to talk about it. And I think we all need to just wake up that this can happen to anybody. If you're a parent, unfortunately, this can happen. Addiction, mental illness, whatever, all of it, it can happen to all of us. It can happen to your kid. I hope it doesn't. I pray every single day that it doesn't happen to anybody. It's horrible, but it can happen. And I think some of it can be prevented. Things can be put in place ahead of time to educate, to prevent, and then also to offer support. So have these conversations with your loved ones, with your kids. Honestly, I think earlier, the better. Be a good judge. You know where your kids are at, but don't be shy. Talk to them about it. Let them in on what's going on so that when it comes to time that they don't have to figure it out on their own and they're not left making that choice that may alter their life or inevitably end their life because they just were trying to fit in or trying to have fun or they were hiding from trauma like I was, whatever it is. I feel way better now that I told you guys that. If you never want to listen to my show again, you want to call me a this, that, go ahead. I don't care. I am who I am. I'm proud of who I'm at, where I'm at today. And uh, I think that I've done everything the way that I think I needed to, to, to remain clean. I'm going to put this toque on. But yes, I, uh, I played hockey. You guys know I haven't had a podcast and maybe you know, maybe you don't. I tried to play a couple weeks ago and I got jumped in warm up. And, uh, I was chirping, not going to lie. I haven't talked about this openly. And so unless you're in my everyday life, you, you haven't heard this story. And I was chirping. I was running my mouth. Some things never change. I wasn't planning to go out there and, and, you know, stir up, stir the pot or anything like that. But I'll tell you, I got my gear on. It had been like 10 years. I got my gear on and I'm walking out the tunnel for warm up and the tunes are blaring. They got the double bubble gum on the table. Guys are fired up. There's fans in the stands. They got a smoke machine. I'm like, okay, let's go. And I hit that ice. I don't know what happened. I have no idea what happened. But it was like flashback to 2012. My last time I played a pro game. And uh, chirping and warm up. I mean, I don't think I warranted somebody coming over the red line, dropping their gloves and jumping me. But yeah, I was running my mouth. But I ended up breaking the guy's nose. He tried to kick me in the face. It was really crazy. His skate grazed my eye. Then I picked him up, slammed him down again. After, we almost I confronted him in the tunnel. I had some choice words for him. He ends up sending me a message, apologizing. Said he didn't mean to kick me in the face. There was a reaction and whatever. I was like, okay, thanks for the message. He's like, ha, ah, you broke my nose. He's like, but I got respect for your story. I read your story. And I said, hey, man, I thanks. I appreciate it. It was squash. It's over. He got suspended for 10 games. I got suspended for one. 
They gave me credit for that game played, even though I didn't play. So I, I went all the way up there, which is like a five-hour drive from where I'm at. Didn't even get to play. That's suspended. Didn't get to play the next night, so I had to drive home without playing. Didn't play last weekend. Played, went, drove this weekend. My dad suggested that I tie string between my gloves, like mittens, to keep my gloves on from so I don't fight. I didn't have to do that. I made it out of warm-up. I almost scored my first shift. I was so slow. I used to be fast. I was so slow. Um, I was, honestly almost scored my first shift. Got a couple penalties, four minutes of penalties. Got an assist. I scored at the end. The ref blew the whistle when he shouldn't have. He wasn't in the right position. He was sitting. The goalie was standing up. The puck was in between his feet. I poked it in, and the ref lost sight of it because he was in the corner, not by looking. Oh, don't get me started. Regardless, it was a success. I felt horrible. Everyone was being nice. Oh, it doesn't you can't tell it was 10 years. Man, I was so slow. I got to work on the foot speed, but that's okay. But listen, these guys, these guys recognize the fact that I hadn't played in eight years, that, you know, I worked my as hard as I could. They gave me the fireman helmet for player of the game. And I almost, like I did, I, I had tears in my eyes for so many reasons. And I said to them, I said, guys, just thanks for letting me be a part of this because, you know, there was a time in my life when I took hockey for granted and I took all of this for granted, the friendships, the the time in the dressing room, the, the competitiveness on the ice, the chirping, the fighting, all of it. I took it all for granted. And I didn't have that for a long time. And now it's back. And I'm just so grateful. Thank you for, for be, allowing me to be a part of your team. And I meant it with all my heart. And they're a great group of guys. Shout out Matt Thompson. Uh, honest to God. Like I'm... It's tough to say who your best friend is. I mean, really, but he's right at the top of that list. Um, for the amount of time I've known him, I mean, there's not a... I think him and I probably... He probably knows more about me than any other guy on this in this world right now. If anything's going on, he knows what's up. So, shout out to him for making it all happen. Staying at his house. I love seeing him, seeing his dogs and spending time with him. And it was just uh, a great weekend. Um, just in... Yeah, it was a huge success just to get on the ice. And I did stop in at B-Sharp Ottawa. Shout out to Joe and Colin. That's Joe sharpening my skates. Thank you, Joe. These guys have taken care of me. Shout out David Carlson for setting me up with these guys. I stopped in and saw Joe. And, uh, yeah, they, if you guys have watched the show, listened to the show, you heard me talking about them all summer, giving me wheels and set me up with true and all of that so very uh very grateful i want to shout out harper schmidt that's daniel miner's nephew down there in low banks dunville rocking his puck support stuff shout out harper watches the show but i think tonight's show might have been a little bit late i am coming down there to see you guys i got to get with tom on the fishing boat go catch some fish I also had, oh, one second. This past weekend, Stuart Smith, friend of mine out in Abbotsford, assistant fire chief in Abbotsford, played in a firefighters hockey tournament out there in the lower mainland. And we were able to, to he was able to, you know, contribute a couple puck support hoodies and stuff that we were able to send out and, and give his door prizes and just be a part of the, the tournament and give out some little, little brochures. These are the new brochures that are going 
out with all the new orders, um, puck support. And there'll be new ones after that too, as well. <laughs> but thank you to Stuart for the mental health firefighters hockey tournament, which was awesome. Very cool. Thank you, Stuart. And, oh, I have to tell you guys about the fans, about the game, about the game. Oh, my gosh. So when I used to play, I was like the most hated guy by the fans, by the other players, because I chirped everybody. Like, I always did. I just crossed the line. I can't help it. I'm a bit of a, you know, nine or ten screws loose. It was no different. Bubba, your Bubba, my coach is watching right now, I think. <laughs> Keep up the good work, pal. I almost gave a heart attack. He's like, every time you're here, you're getting in trouble. You're getting me because I just won't shut up. Well, on <laughs> during the game, I had, there was like, I don't know, three, 400 fans or whatever it was. Pretty good crowd for a senior game, not going to lie. I had this group of fans, including three elderly gentlemen, over 70, all over me, chirping me. It was like the good old days of Moose Jaw versus the Swift Current Broncos in the crush can where the entire crowd was going, leave old, leave old. It was hilarious. I'm like, some things just never change, do they? And I guess that's just me, and that's the way that I play. I told you, I just go into like a different mode. But I'll tell you, I want to get into better shape. I want to be able to skate again. That used to be my game and I can't skate, but that game inspired me to get back at it. If you used to play hockey, I don't care how old you are. If you used to play hockey and you haven't been on the ice for a while, get back out there. And if it's, if you suck at first, promise me you'll stick with it because it's still coming. I, I, I got a long ways to go, but I'm getting better and it's starting to become fun. But when I first started this journey to back to playing COVID kind of ended it last year. It didn't happen, but I was trying to practice a couple times. I hated it. I was like, Matt, I'm never playing hockey again. I suck. I can't do this. I hate sucking. I'm slow, all this, but now I'm like fighting through it. So I encourage all of you guys get out there, start playing again. I don't care how old you are. Go out there and have fun. Let's get your skates, get some gloves, get a stick, go out there, feel the wind in your face. What a gift. What a gift. <laughs> Blair Buckman chiming in what's up Blair love you guys up there in North Bay <laughs> Michelle Michelle's watching oh my god we got some of the boys watching Michelle was at the game Michelle Lee I want to say alt did I get that right Michelle she was at the game thank you for coming out she was at the other game where I got in a fight and warm up too she drove come watch me play and didn't even get to see it we got Ian Boots watching. I'm just going to say it. I tell Matt all the time. This guy's the best player on the team. Runs it, runs the team. Not to, no offense to anybody else, but Bootsy, you're sick. Don't forget the coffee bud. Good luck charm from your stolly. Before the game, I dumped a coffee on Ian, on Bootsy, and it, it poured all over his back right before he went on the ice. My first game back, like total rookie move. Like, oh, I'm like, oh my God, I barely know this guy. I just dumped coffee on him. Like, what the? F Not only did it get on him, it got on to the other guy beside him, his buddy, just a little bit. And so I'm like, ah, I'm playing it cool. I'm like, yo, you guys, like, 
that's a good luck charm for you. Like you're probably going to score and you're going to score. And Bootsy got our first one. And Stevie, the other guy, he ended up scoring later too. So they both got, they both got goals. So we're going to run with it. It was fun. Thank you to everyone for, for just, yeah, what a great opportunity to be back on the ice again. I'm so, so grateful for it. Um, I missed it. I missed it. Matt's watching too. What's up, Matt? Love you, buddy. Thanks for always having me. Thanks for everything you've done for me. You've done so much for me. I appreciate you. I love you. I value your friendship. Anyways, guys, that's it. I'm not sure when the next episode is. It'll be within a week or whatever. I got a list of people that I'm going to bring on the show. I just got to get them scheduled, get back at it. We got a lot of stuff going on. I'm also like working semi full time here in Muskoka, doing some construction, trying to make some extra money. So that's taken up a lot of time too, obviously through the day. So trying to manage it, uh, but we're going to do it all because uh, I got a lot of great help, a lot of great help, a lot of people that want to contribute uh, to the cause of not just puck support, um, but just, in my recovery in general, so many people are just so nice to me and supportive. And in turn, now that I'm in the position that I'm in, I can be that person for others as well. And that is probably the greatest gift of this entire recovery journey. There's something else I was going to say. Check out Puck Support, PuckSupport.com. Pain is real. So is hope. Oh, it's this side. Rest in peace, Jimmy Hayes. He's on the toque. Never, ever be forgotten here at Puck Support. All of our stuff has an in-memory of one of those that we've lost to mental illness or addiction. PuckSupport.com, lots of stuff coming down the pipe. Follow us on social media at Puck Support if you want to follow me directly at Mental Health Hockey. I'm going to share some photos at the end from the House of Gemini Productions here in Muskoka. Check out my social media page, Puck Support social media page. Um, also, uh, check out the Savage Patch Kids because that's really who owns this company. Anyways, guys, that's it for me. Thank you for watching live. If you're listening, subscribe. Share with your friends. We'll see you guys next time. Be kind. Stay grateful. And remember, have a great day if you so choose. Hockey to Hell and Back is brought to you by Performance Wellness. The collaboration between First Star Therapy and MindFrame brings a flexible, holistic program to athletes. The goal is to empower and enhance every athlete's well-being on and off the field of play through focus on intentful movement and mindful practices. You can contact them at consult at firststartherapy.com and team at mindframe.info. Plus, you can check them out on the web at firststartherapy.com and follow First Star on Instagram at firststar.therapy and at MindFrame on Twitter plus MindFrame Fit on Instagram.